Well, guys, um, a couple things that I just want to mention to you here this morning as we get started. If you'd grab your notes, uh, we'll be talking about the last in the series of messages, Redemptive Relationships. But before we jump in, I just want us all to say hello to some dear friends that are over at our Lifeway Chapel right up the street. Everybody yell, hi, Lifeway. Because this is really cool. This is the first weekend that they are joining with us in our, in our teaching, and we're joining with them. In fact, it's kind of cool. Lifeway, I don't know if you know this, but I could actually see you where I'm worshiping. And uh, so, Mike, Melissa, I see you there in the front row. We're so excited that you're here. And uh, if you're interested, by the way, if you're here and you're interested in a church service that has more of a traditional music, uh, including some of the old hymns, uh, we just want to invite you to go to our Lifeway Chapel at at 9 a.m. in the morning because we are doing a service there with the very same teaching that we have here, but uh, it's happening over there, and it is literally behind Walgreens there on the loop. You can't miss it. Just ask somebody where it is. They'll direct you. It's not even a mile away from here, honestly. So we're calling that our Lifeway Chapel, and that is the newest part of our multi-site here at North Point Church. Isn't that awesome? Let's hear it. It's just awesome. So if you'd like to join, if you're 9 a.m. here, but you're thinking, man, the music's kind of loud. It hurts my hearing aid. Or, man, you know, uh, it, it, it thumps on my chest a little too much, and you want something a bit more traditional. Hey, I'm not ageist. I'm 50 years old. Now, I'm fi- I mean, <laughs> so old, so old, I know. But if you're saying you'd like to go over there, maybe you're just somebody that's a young, strapping kid like me, and you just like the hymns. I do. Um, you just want to go over there. Well, you're welcome to do that. Everybody said Amen. All right, that's pretty cool. Also, I want to mention to you, not only are we launching our Lifeway Chapel right up the street, but I want to mention to you, today is the day that marks the beginning officially of our outward promotion of our Spanish church service that we have been working on for over a year. So let's hear it for that. That's pretty amazing. And in fact, I want to show you a picture here of this family. What, uh, who you see here is Chuck and Anna Padilla. And uh, Chuck is actually going to be our... Uh, he's going to be our starting pastor or our launch pastor for the Spanish church. He's going to be ordained in the next couple of months. You will see him again on stage. But this is he and Anna and their kids. They've been long-time North Point members. And uh, they're going to be our launching pastors while we kick off this service. And then it's part of their goal to find who's going to be that long-term campus pastor for the Spanish church. They've just said, you know, he's, he's actually a therapist full-time. He actually has a day job. But he said, uh, in my spare time, he said, I will, uh, I will help pastor this church and make it happen. Isn't that amazing that members are willing to do that? Let's hear it for them. So if you know somebody that uh, speaks Spanish and they need a place to call home, they need a church to go to, if you have relatives, invite them. Happens right during this hour at 9 a.m. right over here in our student ministry building. Sound good? All right, so we are talking about, we are in the last of a series of messages where we are talking about relationships. Particularly, we're talking about the change that relationships take when you come into God's kingdom. Now, everybody listen. Christianity is nothing if it's not about change. Do we understand that? That is, if you don't see change happening in your life, it could be that you've not yet come into the kingdom. That is certainly what we see in Scripture. Why? Because for those who come to trust their life in Jesus Christ, what happens is they come under the royal power of King Jesus. 
And that royal power is life-changing. God's spirit fills you and begins to change you. And what happens is God begins to work a new righteousness in you that Jesus called born again. It is a quality of character that alters your spirit. It alters your disposition. It alters everything. Now, am I saying you become perfect? No. You can look at me and say we're definitely not perfect. But it does affect the way that you handle disagreements, for example. It affects how you're a husband or you're a wife. It affects how you raise your family with less regret, how you parent and father and mother. Your relationship with Jesus Christ should affect your friendships. You ought to learn how to love people you normally would just despise. And how to forgive people. We talked about that last week. Today, I just want to kind of capstone this series of messages by talking to you about what I would call redemptive relationships. Redemptive relationships. Now, what does that mean, redemptive? Well, I looked it up, and Oxford says that redemptive means acting to save somebody from an error or an evil. And I would just say, isn't that what we're called to do as a church? Every relationship, we are called to act to help people. Now, So many people have trouble with Christianity because they don't like being told that we think we need to save them. A lot of people will say, well, you know, Christianity is fine and I don't agree with all of it. Religion is fine, but there's one thing I object to, people say. I object to the fact that you guys think you have to convert everybody. It's totally inappropriate. People will say it's bigoted and it's narrow-minded. Apart from that, People say, it's fine, but don't preach at me and tell me how I ought to live. Now, I'm going to say to some people, that sounds reasonable, and it sounds balanced, but I'm going to tell you it's really not. It's not balanced at all, and it's not reasonable. Why? Because if you change that one thing about Christianity, you change everything. You can't say, I want to be like Jesus, but I don't want to say the things that Jesus said. That I don't want to teach the things that Jesus taught. That's like saying, I like everything about ice cream, except that it's frozen. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you take away ice cream's frozenness, you have something, but you no longer have ice cream. Would you agree? No. What did Jesus say? Look at this scripture. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Well, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What does that mean? It means that your life was meant to have an effect upon the people around you. Jesus said to his people, Israel, not only are you the salt of the earth, and we take this as an example, but he says also, you are the light of the where? The world. He says, a town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, today what I want to do is I want to take you through a story that we're going to use as an example. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 4. And I want you to see that it's where Jesus came into a town called Samaria... 
And when a Samaritan woman, it says, came to draw water, Jesus actually begins to share and communicate the gospel with her. And do you remember what happened? It says in verse 27, his disciples return and they see Jesus talking to this woman. And they're surprised because he's talking to a woman. And then it says, leaving her water jar after their conversation, this woman went to the townspeople and notice what happens. She says, come and see... Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they, the disciples, came and they urged him, Jesus, go get something to eat. But I want for you to notice what Jesus says to them. He says, guys, I have food that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I tell you, guys, open your eyes. And look around you. Look at the fields. For they are ripe for harvest. Which is a metaphor for the idea that people are ready to be told the truth. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus looks at you and me and he says, listen, more important than eating, more important than drinking, Jesus says, I'm communicating. And he actually chastises his disciples for not thinking the same and John 4 goes on and he says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Notice, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, the Samaritans are the outsiders, they urged him to stay with them. And notice, he stays two more days. And you guys got to see this. Underline this next phrase. This is powerful. In your notes, just underline this. Verse 41, it says, and because of his words, just underline that, because of his words, Many more became believers. See, because words are required. Some of you say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I've never told anybody about my relationship with Jesus. Guys, words are required. It's because of his words that people came to know Jesus Christ. And they said to the woman, we don't just believe because of the words that you've used, but we've naturally heard, we've heard from ourselves this Jesus and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now listen to me. Friends, here's something you've got to get when it comes to relationships. All of your relationships. Listen to me, Lifeway. Listen to me online. Listen to me here right now. If you have a Christianity that doesn't have you communicating, you have something, but it is not Christianity. Don't fool yourself. Now, what I want to do before I'm done is I just want to give you two reasons why that's true. And then I want to talk to you about how we communicate. Does that sound good? Sound good, Lifeway? All right, here we go. How, why should I, we communicate? If you just write this down, here's the first reason we communicate. Number one, we do it because of truth. We do it because of truth. Now let's just get back to this conversation here. What has he talked with her about? He's talked with her about two things. He's talked to her about her sin. And second, he's talked to her about how she can get help. So first, first thing he says is, he goes to this woman, and he talks to this woman. We didn't read it, but you can read the story together. He first talks to her about multiple sexual partners. You talk about breaking the ice. I mean, he literally just points out, I know that you're sleeping around. I know that you don't just have one husband, but that you've had many. And I know that the person that you're sleeping with now is actually not your husband. And he gives this assessment of her life, and what does she say? She says, wow. Here's a man who told me everything I ever did. And then he shares himself and he says, 
I'm the provision you need. And here's what's fascinating. Instead of being repulsed by it, he deals with her sin, and instead of being turned off, she accepts it. Why? I would propose to you it's because of the way that Jesus did it. That he did it in such a way that she understood the truth and the truth was able to set her free. See, because when you see the truth, everything changes because truth brings a new power. Now, what is truth? Truth is is showing somebody a part of reality that they didn't know before. Would you agree with that? That's what truth is. It's when I show you something that you've not conceived of yet. Now, by the way, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is how it always works. One example is if you look at the field of medicine. Do you know that a long time ago, like back in the 50s, most people believed that smoking was good for your health? Did you know that? In fact, take a look at this. This is an advertisement back in the day. Smoke a fresh cigarette. Now, does that sound like an oxymoron to you today? (laughs) A fresh cigarette. That's interesting. Doctor prescribed. It'll help you out. Or look at these two advertisements. I love these. Go ahead and throw them up there, this next picture on the screen for me. You know, 20,679 physicians say luckies are less irritating. It's toasted. Try smoking. Can you believe this? Viceroys, they filter out the smoke. And, And then I love this for you men that are cigar smokers. Check this out. Apparently doctors are on your side because physicians call it a health cigar. Now, of course, this was common until what? One day, medical science comes in and says, no, actually, we've learned, the research shows this is going to kill you. (laughs) And the bad news is actually good news because this news is informing you of a reality that you didn't know before. Now, I want to ask you a question. Would you say that it's narrow-minded for doctors to tell you that smoking is going to kill you? Come on. People say that Christians are narrow-minded. Is it narrow-minded of doctors to say if you smoke, you might get cancer? No, of course that's not narrow-minded. Because you know doctors are saying it because it's true. Why do we share? We share because of truth. We expose people to a reality that they're not yet aware of and the difference that Jesus, who is the king, can make in their life. Now, why else do we share? Write this down. Second reason that we share is we share because of love. Write that down. We communicate because of love. Now, why do I say that? I say that because a lot of people believe that if you're going to try and convert someone to your religion, that must mean that you feel superior to them. In fact, I've heard lots of Christians say, I've heard Christians say this many, many times. They say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't try and convert people to my religion. Who am I? Who am I to tell my friends at work that, you know, that Buddhism isn't the way or that Islam isn't the way or that atheism is off? Who who am I to say that? I shouldn't tell them. And I'm going to tell you, that actually sounds humble. But do you realize what you're saying is you're saying that any time you try and tell somebody the truth, it must be motivated by your ego. And that's just not true. What was Jesus' motive? Or what about this woman? This woman is essentially the town's loose woman. Everybody knew who she was. Now, is this woman sharing the truth out of an ego? 
Is she sharing the truth out of superiority? No, what's happened? She's met him. Jesus says to her, I'm what you've been looking for. You've had all these sexual partners because you're trying to satisfy something in your life. Jesus says, I'm the one that can bring you what you need. I am the water that you will never thirst again. You're going after, you're going after it through sex. Sex will never do it for you. Jesus is exposing her to a reality. Jesus is saying, come in and get satisfied by me. Jesus is saying, eat at my table. Take upon yourself my strong name. And what's happened to this woman is she has fallen in love. Listen to me. It's not superiority. It's love. So why do we share? We share because of truth. We share because of love. But what I find fascinating here is this woman, this woman receives it. Here he is dealing with her sex life, and she totally receives it. How does that happen? I think it's the approach. I think Jesus makes the perfect approach to a human being, and we can learn from it. So how do you share? You ready? Let me give you some thoughts. How do you share? Number one, write this down. There's some things you got to decide, and here's the first one. You have to decide that you're going to embrace everybody in real friendship. Write that down. Now, I know that seems obvious to you because I don't know a person that says that they're not friendly, that says that everybody says that they're friendly. Everybody I know says that they love people, but let me just say this to you. Your love doesn't get tested until you're around somebody that really challenges the way you think and feel. For example, how do you let your light shine towards somebody who really disappoints you? How do you let your light shine to somebody who's mistreated you? How do you let your light shine towards somebody who you vehemently disagree with about whatever? Next year, we're going to do a series, and we're going to do it, and we're going to advertise it big. It's going to be called How to Believe Despite Christians. And the reason we're going to do that series is because one of the number one reasons people don't believe today is because they look at the church's record or they look at Christians they've known and they've said, man, it, the record is atrocious. And so what people typically do is they say, well, I'm just going to focus on Jesus and I'm not going to focus on his church. The problem is, is that Jesus says, I love my church. <laughs> the church is my masterpiece. What are you going to do with that? Part of the problem is, is, that, is that we say we love people, but how do we really treat them? How do you let your light shine with somebody that you're really angry with or that you hold an unforgiveness toward? Same passage where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 6. He goes on. Now, you guys got to let this sink deeply into your heart. We're just going to read it together. Here we go. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, read it with me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Stop right there for just a minute. Friends, listen to me. If you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, and last week, Pastor Kevin, man, he tore it up, and it wrecked your life, and you're still trying to figure out how do I forgive, you want to know the first step toward forgiving somebody is you just go pray with them in person. Seriously, you go and say, can I pray with you? And you grab their hands and you pray God's blessing over them. Your heart will melt. You say, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Exactly. That's exactly why you do it. Listen, too many of you feel your way into acting. You need to act your way into feeling. You need to choose to say, I'm going to do this because Jesus said to do it. 
And look what he says. He says, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, what do you do? Offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, what should you do? Offer your shirt. Guys, I want you to think about those people that you just are so politically divided from. You're so socially divided from. You just so disagree with. They bug you so bad. What does it say? Verse 30. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, what does it say? Come on, this is Jesus talking. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Does Jesus say you're not supposed to try and get back at them? That's what your king says. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And then when it says in verse 32, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And look at this, verse 34. This is powerful, man. This, isn't this powerful? He says, if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get the credit? What's he saying? You should be so generous, you're lending money to people who will never repay you. How are you going to get credit for just lending money knowing you're going to get it right back? You see what he's saying here? Jesus is saying, I have a standard to live by. This is God's word. He says, even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Then he says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. Then you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate. Let's read it together. Just as your Father is compassionate. Man. I mean, he goes on. He says, don't judge others or you'll be judged. Don't condemn others or you're going to be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. You see the point. Let me tell you why a lot of people hate Christians sharing reality with them. Because a lot of Christians are such poor examples. At the same time we might try to share that reality with them, we're holding unforgiveness. We're getting angry. We're divided over our political point of views. I see, I see Christians chastising other Christians on social media all the time because of politics. You realize politics is going gonna, is gonna to burn like everything else. Should you really put so much stock in that? I'm not saying it's not important. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have positions. I'm saying the human being matters more than your opinion. I see Christians divided over lifestyle options, over morality choices, as if Christianity were just a bunch of moralisms. Let me tell you what Christianity is. Christianity is the place that sinners go to be saved. That's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a rule book of moralisms that I have to follow in order to be saved. Christianity says, I'm such a screw-up, I need a savior. His name is Jesus. That's what Christianity is. Now, Jesus Christ, see, it's his approach. He does this in such a way that he takes this woman and he makes her his friend. And the reason the disciples are so amazed is because this Jewish man is not to speak to a woman in public, number one. Now, we don't get that today. I get it, but it's shocking back then. He's not supposed to talk to a woman 
And he's not supposed to talk to Samaritans. Listen to me. Samaritans were pagans. The ethnic groups hated one another. People talk about racism today, which is evil. But it was nothing like it was then. Not in our country anyway. And she's a Samaritan. And he's actually, this Jewish man is actually talking to her. And then not only that, but her morality is terrible. She is the notorious loose woman. She's the town prostitute. She's unclean. Why is he talking to her? What does Jesus do? Listen to me. Jesus gets past the sex bias. Jesus gets past the race bias. Jesus gets past the political bias. Jesus gets past the moral bias. And he reaches out without condemnation to somebody whose life is completely wrong. And he says, let me tell you about a reality that you can't see. And let me give you some hope. And it changes her life. Do you do that? Do I do that? That's the question we ought to be asking. You know, there is a little card in your notes today. It's called, Who's Your One? And we put this out periodically. But it's meant to remind you, who is that one person that you're trying to show a part of reality to? And maybe you've never written anybody's name down before. Today should be the day that you do. And you say, you know what? I'm going to be praying for them every day. And you put this in your wallet. You put it in your car. You hang it on your refrigerator. And you be thinking about this person. And I'm going to tell you what. If you start actively praying for them, at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to nudge you to talk to them. Or to invite him to church. Hey, come and see. Come and see a little bit of reality that I've come to know. Now here's the second thing. You embrace everybody as friends. Here's the second thing because I beat that one. Let's go to number two. Ready? Everybody ready? All right, here we go. I will meet my friends where they are and not where I think they ought to be. <laughs> Write that down. I will meet my friends where they are and not where I think they ought to be. Guys, if there were ever a life point that, is, that I just bleed, that I am passionate about, it is this. That you and I act incarnationally just like Jesus did. That we meet people on their terms, not on our terms. That we meet people at their point of need in their condition, in their situation. Notice, Philippians puts it this way. It says, you and I should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Because he was God, but he gave up divine privilege and he took a humble position, born as a human being. He appeared in human form. And notice, when Jesus goes to this woman, he, he meets her where she is. He goes out of his way into a pagan city that is unclean. He should not be in the pagan city. He should not touch that evil, unclean thing. But Jesus goes to a well in Samaria where she was and he uses water as an interest store and he begins to speak to her. And when he meets her at the well, as, as he uses that water, it's fascinating. You guys understand, Jesus did that differently for everybody. Jesus didn't have the same approach. Jesus didn't preach at everybody the same way. For example, one chapter earlier, we're in John 4 today, right? One chapter earlier, I want you to read this later, go to John chapter 3. He's talking to a theologian, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he does it completely different. With Nicodemus, he gets there and he says, the, Nicodemus says to him, Rabbi, we know that God sent you. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, with, with, with the theologian, he gets right to the point. He doesn't use water. 
He doesn't beat around the bush. There's no interest door with a priest. He jumps right in and says, you should be changed. Notice the approach is different depending upon the person. When you do that, you are incarnating your style to become as they are, to meet them where they are. Now, guys, I want to tell you, in case you're confused about this, this is why we're advertising. And I want to make it clear, because this causes confusion for some. This is why we're doing an event like Trunk or Treat, exactly because of this principle. In fact, I just want to say to you, Trunk or Treat just kicks off a whole lot of holiday outreach. This next quarter of the year, we are ending the year in high evangelism mode at North Point. We are going to use every holiday to be inviting people to church. And I want to ask you to commit to doing the same. Would you do that? Would you invite people to church, invite people to the events, invite people to join us? Because all through Christmas, we're going all out. Thanksgiving, we're going to have a Thanksgiving Eve service. Trunk or treat, we are going to just blow away the neighborhood. And you'd say, Shane, I don't know, Halloween is pagan. Halloween is unclean, it's evil. So was Samaria. You have to understand, in that day, it was more unclean to Jews let me give you an example. Not just Jesus, but Paul himself. There's a great example here, if, I, if you just notice it. Um, uh, it's in Acts chapter 17. Paul is standing in the midst of the temple where the Athenians meet. And he looks at them and he says, I can see that in every way you were given up to demon worship. For passing through, I'm beholding your shrines. And he says, and I found an altar on which was inscribed to the unknown God. Now stop right there. Paul the apostle is talking to people who are pagan and that are sacrificing animals and that there is human sacrifice going on. It was utterly evil and demonic. Polytheistic, multiple gods, sick stuff going on. There's Paul right in the middle of it. And then he looks at an idol and the idol says to the unknown God and he says... Let's go on. Whom therefore ye reverence, not knowing him, I announce to you. Meaning, you see that unknown God right there? Let me tell you who that is. And he literally refers to that idol as Jesus the Christ. He says, the God who has made the world and all things which are in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made by hands, nor is he served by men's hands as needing something himself giving to us all life and breath and all things. He has made everyone, the blood of every nation of men that dwell upon the whole face of the earth, having determined and ordained times and boundaries of their dwelling. Stop for just a minute. What is he doing here? He is, he's not arguing polytheism versus monotheism. Let me tell you something. If Paul the apostle stood up today in front of you, the church, and said, see that thing right there, that thing, that idol is Jesus Christ, you'd kick him out of the church. You'd say, that's terrible. How could you do that? You can't call a statue Jesus. But you notice Paul, when he's with these pagans, he meets them in their worldview, and he begins to shed a light on reality that they never knew before. Gosh, people get mad at me for quoting Harry Potter. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I say, gosh, read, read Paul. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Notice what he says. Now notice this next scripture, 1 Corinthians. Paul describes the approach. He says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to who? 
when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to. But I don't ignore the law of God. Nobody's saying we should live impure. Nobody's saying that we should practice sin. He says, I'm still obedient to God, but when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. By the way, I'm just saying this as a point of reference because we've had so many questions about Halloween from people and why we would have an activity on our campus that reaches out to the lost. Can I just say to you real quick, just a teaching moment here for just a minute. In the scripture, was there a pagan practice that was being done regularly that was totally pagan and demonic, but in the early church they had disagreement that Christians should participate in it? Is there an example of that? Anyone? The answer is yes. In fact, this, this struggle that we have with Halloween, I want you to know that this is an age-old argument that goes back to the earliest church. There was a practice in the first century church you can read about in Corinthians, and it was taking animals that had been sacrificed to demons and idols. And there were some Christians that said that, man, we can take that meat after it's been sacrificed to a demon or a false god, and we can eat that meat because it's just meat. That's all it is, just meat. And then there were other Christians who said, oh no, you can't because of the origin of that meat. That meat was originally intended to be sacrificed to demons. Don't do it. Paul writes specifically about this and says, if your faith allows you to do it, do it. If your faith doesn't allow you to do it, don't do it, but don't condemn each other over it. So if anybody ever has a question about that, isn't that a great example? I just love that it's all there in God's word. So what do we do? We develop a genuine interest in others. We meet others where they are. We, we, we embrace them in true friendship. Number three, write this down. You've got to develop a genuine interest in them. You want to know why so many people hate Christians trying to convert them? It's because of the way we do it. You know what we do? We preach at people and we answer questions that they're not asking us. Let me say that again. We preach at people and we answer questions they're not asking. What did Jesus do? Jesus told stories and he asked questions. Isn't that interesting? His approach was so different. And then if people don't change as fast as we think they ought to, we criticize them. Not realizing that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. It's God that's sanctifying them. It's not us. Show a genuine interest. Build a bridge of friendship. By the way, how about just inviting somebody to church? You know, we just finished in the spring this come and see campaign. Some of you may not know what this is, but we have been raising money on top of our normal tithes and offering. We have been uh, pledging our gifts to be able to transform this campus and we are going to completely overhaul the campus and put in a, you know, a cafe that's open seven days a week, a coffee shop that you can invite your friends to, to come and see and just say, man, this is a place that we can go and have a cup of coffee and talk about Jesus and we're just going to make this into a place. But I'm telling you guys, for some of you, it is as easy as saying to people, just come to church with me. Just come and see the difference that this is making in my life. Now, there's another type of evangelism around here that we call go and tell. And that's the type of evangelism where we go out of our way to go places to communicate his word. But we should be doing both. I want to say it's as easy as come and see. Here's the final thing. I'll close with this point. Most important. 
You gotta be willing to say, man, I'm gonna keep on praying. I am gonna keep on praying. You know, just after Nicodemus, just before the woman at the well, Jesus went to be baptized by John. So later, if you go read John 3 and then John 4, you'll see right in between, Jesus goes to be baptized by John. And John is talking to the religious of his day. And, he, and look at what he says. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. I need you to understand that. Nobody can receive anything unless what? God gives it. We've got to be praying. The words I'm using today are just words. It's only God that gives words power. And if we're going to make a difference in the lives of our community, in the lives of people, we've got to say, I'm going to be devoted to praying for him. That's why I say, take that, take that who's your one card and, and begin to pray. I also included in your notes today, if you've never received this, I'd like to invite everybody at church, you're at Lifeway, you're watching right now, pay attention to this, you're here, you're online, wherever you are, there is a card that invites you to be a part of our prayer force. And especially this fall, I'm asking if you're not on our prayer force to join it. Here's what you do. Just write on your connection card, prayer force, and there's two ways you can be involved. People turn in their prayer requests every week and they're hurting and they need Jesus. You can receive those connection cards. We don't put names on them, but you can see the needs and begin praying over those people's needs and those cards. Or... You could be a part of my preaching team, Prayer Force, and you'll receive an email from me every week telling you what I'm preaching on on the weekend and to be praying for that message and be praying that God touches hearts. Either way, I just want you to write down on their connection card, Prayer Force, and just write preaching team or cards, whichever, or both. But then, if you're not going to do either of those, take this card and you'll see that it says on the back, it tells you what to pray for every week. Pray for non-believers to encounter Jesus, to give their lives to him. Pray for weary believers to be strengthened for Christian living. Pray for hurting people. Pray for authentic worship. Pray for spiritual steps to be taken. And pray for grateful offerings that people would give. I'm gonna ask you just to join me and be on the prayer force. That sound good? All right, let me pray with you. Father, Thank you so much for your good work in our lives. Lord, we do, we just, we yield to you and we turn to you and we ask that you would just teach us how to live for you. Teach us how to share our faith and communicate as we should. Father, as you said that you have a food that you eat that we don't know about, a lot of us, we're dying on the inside because we're eating the wrong food. <laughs> We need the food that you said you eat, and that is to do the will of the Father. A lot of us are shriveling up inside for a lack of mission and a lack of purpose. I pray you'd touch believers today that they would just be enthralled with you and want to share their faith because of you and what you've done in their life. I pray you'd bless them. God, help us, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen. amen.